What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 111 of the Lombard Trucking Show. Thank you all for being here once again. I know it's been a little while. I want to appreciate all the feedback I got from the previous episode with Carrie Jablonski. And I know everybody was wondering where I was necessarily recording from. And I was in the closet at the studio at Orange Theory. Not in the closet you're thinking of. Don't worry, don't worry. Relax, relax on that. But you got to get it in where you can do it. Um, that's, you know, that's straight out of David Goggins can't hurt me right there when it comes to finding time. And when it comes to fitness over the road, that's what I have to do. And that's what drivers have to do. You have to find the time where you can get it. And so when it comes to putting the show out there, having these conversations, having the difficult conversations, you got it in, got to get it in where you can get it. Uh, I have a lot more to come in some episodes to come. Just want to give a little bit of a preview uh, a couple weeks ago friend of mine, we headed down to the uh, trucker convoy slash, uh, you know, meetup. There was a peaceful gathering in Eagle Pass. And uh, there's some things I want to say about that. I know on Twitter, we had a lot going on between, you know, good friend of the show, Gord McGill going on Tucker Carlson, talking about the Canadian Freedom Convoy and the the ramifications on Twitter of the uh, alleged psyop that a woman thought. So there's just a lot of stuff I want to share on it and a lot of good things to come. But the reason for tonight's episode, which I'm really excited for, is um, basically as to, how I came across this is just too funny because it's the primaries here in Texas and Texas has early voting. And I've been, you know, wondering which what, what ballot do I do I pick for? Because Texas, unlike other states, is a little bit different. You don't necessarily join a party, so to speak. In Connecticut, you, when you register to vote, you can pick a party, Republican, Democrat, Independent, and then you, you're only allowed to vote in that party's primary. But in Texas, essentially, anytime there's a primary, you have to pick one or the other, the GOP or the Democratic primary ballot. And then for that year, you're locked in. So if you vote in the Democratic primary, if there is a runoff, you're only able to vote in that primary. And part of me was like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to protest vote against the current president. I know Marianne Williamson's running for president as a Democrat. I was like, maybe I'll protest vote because the current president is just, well, just go online, just go on the internet and take a look. Uh, but then all of a sudden I was looking at the ballot. I was like, no, because as you know, I've been critical of uh, my current representative, Greg Kassar. I've reached out to his office many times. This guy's a hard guy to get a hold of. And, you know, what? I get it. These people are busy. But he's not busy enough to go get clout on Instagram. He's not busy enough to go walk in these picket lines uh, for photo ops and to do all this other stuff. He's a big virtue signaler, uh, in my opinion. So nobody's running against him as the incumbent. Uh, probably something maybe I should have done. But I'm getting a little long, long stretch here. I was looking at some, some, some candidates, and I came across uh, one. The gentleman is joining the show today. He's a Marine veteran. So he works in supply chain, military logistics, has gone to, sc gone to school. He has certifications on it. He's running uh, in the Republican as, as a Republican to become the nominee for the Texas 35th Congressional District. And I have the pleasure of welcoming on the show today for an awesome conversation. So without any further delay, I want to bring him up onto the stage. Mr. Michael Rodriguez, how are you doing? Hello, how are you doing? You know, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, you know, I said, I love talking supplies, love talking about logistics. I love just, you know, figuring out the issues, figuring out problems. And this is the best place to find it out is in the supply chain uh, realm here. You couldn't have said, I, and just so that any listeners know, we, we talked for briefly beforehand, but 
you couldn't have said a better better quote to to kind of walk onto the show because one of the biggest things that we do we just had a guest uh, my previous guest she's the ceo of of trucker tools which is a very great uh, load board app that's a, 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 a you know a use has use for owner operators and brokerages uh, and beyond and we've had other guests on the show Evan Shelley of truck parking club and the main theme of this show is to solve problems. That's what we do. And it's, and that's what's awesome about people who work in this industry is their desire to solve problems, not make them. Some people end up making them by accident, but so great. Yeah. Great way to get on here. And I do, I do just want to preface I, this, you know, before we get into our conversation, you know, I, I always talk about this in, you know, especially since the toxicity of the previous elections between 2016 and 2020 people kind of, uh, at this point in our society, they're always, you know, people are essentially they identify you with who you voted for in the last election. Mm-hmm. And I almost want to go back to the time. And they, my wife and I talked about this. We need to go back to the era of when people didn't discuss who they voted for. But I do want to just say before we got on, that I did go to the polls and I did vote for you out of for, I think, the reasons why people need to vote. And it's based off of, yeah, their policies matter, but character matter, too. And just. The first thing you said coming on here is you want to sound you want to solve problems. So, you know, that's that's part of the reason why you're on here. That's part of the reason why my vote can easily go that direction. Well, thank you. But, thank you. Yes, absolutely. But but, but let's uh, let's get right into it, man. What's your sure. what's your story? Where are you from and uh, how do we get here? So I'm from here. I'm from the, the San Antonio area. Uh, originally, uh, my parents were both born and raised here in San Antonio, down on the west side here in San Antonio, near downtown. Uh, like I always say, my grandparents set up their roots here in San Antonio. My grand, my my parents were both born and raised here. And then my dad himself joined the military. He's a Vietnam veteran, and he made a career out of the uh, out of the army himself. Uh, that's when he had myself and you know my my brother and my sister, and. But the, San Antonio has always been our home. This has always been a place that we came to. This is where we, uh, you know, d- d- set up our roots. When my dad retired from the military, this is where we came back home. And we, ever since then, we've just been settled in between right here down in the San Antonio area. So technically, we don't live in San Antonio, so, but we live in the, the, the Bear County area. We're just right outside the city limits, just the way it was drawn out for us. And I've been here ever since uh, I was in, like, in fourth grade. What's, yeah. what's crazy about San Antonio in Texas cities in general is how big they are, because technically, like, you know, I live in, in Buda and when and people from out of the area ask me, I still just will say Austin because it's kind of Austin South. But when I was trucking, I mean, I've been and it's, I'm glad you said that, by the way, you said it's Bear County. Yes. But it's spelled Bexar. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that, get, that gets that gets confusing a lot to some people. But I've been down to to Converse and. um Trying to think of some of the other towns, shirts, yeah, Converse, uh, University all, City, yeah, all those towns. It's mm-hmm. really just you can if you went between any of those towns in San Antonio, you wouldn't think you ever you ever left, yes, because of, of how big it is. But for for the rest of it, but San Antonio is pretty huge. So you vote always been down in San Antonio. So would you you went to high school? Where'd uh, where'd yeah. you wind up? I went to high school right right here uh, to uh, Converse Jetsons, where I went to high school. I was a, I've always been involved. I played football there. I was fortunate enough to be part of the uh, state championship team when I when I played here in high school. And I moved on and decided, you know, I wanted to go to college. And 
and you know further my you know, education try to find a career path you know i was kind of like out of high school i didn't really know kind of what to do you know like most high schoolers but the opportunity was there and so the opportunity is always there i had to find it find the opportunity and in the midst of looking for the opportunity i decided like halfway through college i was well not halfway but in the beginning of the college i was like you know what i need to get my head straight i need to figure figure out what i want to do so then i joined the military i joined the military and that's when i joined the marine corps you know, had my great time in the Marine Corps. I learned a lot of things, did a lot of things, and seen a good part of the world. Uh, when I was in the military, that I went during peacetime, and of course, unfortunately, we transitioned over into a wartime situation. And then I was stop lost in the military or into, into the Marine Corps. Once I was uh, done with stop loss, you know, back then it was like, you know, all right, we're done. The war's over. Let's go home and uh, relax, celebrate. So I got out of the Marine Corps and I, and I went to school. I went to college here uh, down the street over there by uh, Texas State University in San Marcos. I went to school there, graduated. Then I was like, you know what? The war's still going on. Um, I, I didn't want to just uh, sit on the sidelines just yet from that. So then I, I made that choice to join back into the military. However, this time, instead of going to back in the Marine Corps, it was... Uh, then that time it, it was more appropriate or it just made more sense for me to go to the army because of the transition time it, it would have taken to get into the army versus getting into the Marine Corps. And during that time, my wife was pregnant and we were about to have another, our second uh, child in our family. So I, I, I was like, you know what? I want to join, go back into the, to the army or I was, I, was, I want to go to the army. I want to make a difference. And I went and I joined the army. Did and you go from in there, as an officer? No, no. I went in and enlisted. I was like, I wanted, I wanted to be on the ground. I, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a kind of like in the trench kind of person. And I, and I know previously being in the Marine Corps, and I was a rifleman there in, in the Marine Corps too. And I know being in there, like a career in an officer, a career as an officer is different than a career as an enlisted. And as an enlisted man, I knew if I, the path that I was going to uh, choose, it was going to put me right where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be up into the to the front of it, into the thick of it, and so that's why I chose going enlisted and going in as an infantryman, uh, because as an officer, you you get to choose to a certain point, but your career is pretty much set for you. They're gonna they're gonna put you where they need you, as an officer, but as enlisted, I was gonna stay on the ground because that's where I wanted to be. So that's what I did, and I did that for many about eleven years active duty in the army and then it was because when i was in the army it was deployed 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 I, I deployed like every odd year i was deploying and i was like you know i wanted to spend a little bit more time with my family because they were growing up before me and, and every time i came back they were always bigger and you know <laughs> smarter so i was like you know what i'm gonna settle down but i still want to serve i'm gonna go into the national guard so i joined our texas national guard here in, in texas and then i spent some time there and then we got the pandemic issue. And then I wound up serving on alongside that in the pandemic uh, for the first time was for testing. And the second time was for the vaccination push that, that they did. And then in 22, I had enough time to where I, I could retire. So then I chose that route. So in, in May of 22 is when I hung up the boots and, you know, since, since then and, and played our, pay attention more into my family role here. So, cause I still, we still have a young one. We still have a, a little seven year old. 
in our family. So I got I got kids ages 21 to 16 to 7. So I got them. They're pretty spread out. So, but no, that's, that's what, awesome, man. Yeah, that's what I love to do. And what? Yeah, what a what a career that is too. Starting out, and I I have a couple friends who who have, who have uh, gone from the Marines and are in the Army. I think I have a friend who's at uh, a guy I deployed with who's at Fort Hood right now. Now that I think about it, he might still be there. But uh, I'll tell you, it is a that that's it's funny you put it that way of not going because. I would have always told, I always tell people, if you got the degree, you should definitely go in as an officer. And there was a kid when I went to boot camp who did have his degree and he joined and enlisted and our drill instructors, like they busted his balls. They're like, yeah. what are you doing? Not getting that paycheck. You know, they like, yeah. is it at the end of the day, military is a job, but it says a lot about your character. Again, knowing you wanted to go into the army, like, you, cause really you could have gone in the army as an officer and probably still gotten into you know, either, you know, gotten into com seen combat, but eventually, you know, that, that, that route can, can end yeah. um, at, at some point, once you become an O three 3 or higher, really that, that risk kind of run, runs a little bit lower after X amount of years, but then also, and this is just good advice for anybody who is still in the military is continuing to serve after you get out. Probably one of my biggest regrets was not looking at more of that information of either staying with the uh, staying in the Marine Reserve or looking mm -hmm. at the National Guard, especially because of what I mean, look, look what you just did. I mean, you you've gotten yourself to a point to where you're still young enough to be, you know, getting retirement, being able to hang it up. But that's um, it's interesting. So with the Texas National Guard, yeah, go into that because this is where this is where some of the logistics stuff started playing. Uh, this is where you started getting into the logistics realm. Oh yeah. Yeah, it started uh, towards the end of my army uh, active duty around when I, I was managing the uh, our arms room and our supply or our NBC room. I, I had to take care of all the maintenance, and then I was also the uh, the movement officer, the the unit move officer for our, our unit. So I did a couple of deployments where I had to do all the paperwork and make sure that all our equipment was where it needed to be. And then when we did our trip to Europe. Uh, for Atlantic Resolve, uh, yeah, Atlantic Resolve, I was actually the the guy that got to get on the train and follow the equipment from Germany all the way into Georgia. So I got to see the uh, countryside all the way from Europe, and I got to experience all that. You know what what plays into the transportation mode for our equipment to move all the way across. And then on the way back, I always like to say I was singly handedly the one that held up our entire movement because I didn't want to sign off on papers. Because someone had made a mistake on, on how the transportation was going to be made. They were going to send our equipment in two separate trains. And we didn't have the personnel to, to go on two separate trains. And I was like, nope. I was like, I'm not going to sign off on this. I didn't make the mistake, but it was my responsibility. So I took the responsibility to say that I'm not signing off on this because all our equipment needs to move in, in one movement. And we're all going to be on it together. So they got mad at me. But <laughs> at the end... We, we got what we needed. We got, we got the, the trains to go the, in the same movement as one instead of two separate ones, which is what they wanted. But I, I refused to sign off on the paperwork to, to let that go. So I got, I got a little praise from that because they, they literally want to send our train off in the countryside unguarded and unattended all the way from, uh, from Bulgaria into Germany. And I was like, nope, not, not while I'm here. So yeah, it was it was a great time, and then of course during the uh, pandemic, you know, I was, I was they I got put in charge again because I actually volunteered this time. I was like, hey, look, 
I have some experience in, in the supply chain uh, world. I know like how the ins and outs work uh, um, for the most part. And I was like, give me the responsibility. And so they gave me the responsibility and I got to, you know, coordinate all the transportation and all the supplies that we got to have in it. And along with the, uh, the, the specimens that we collected to send off, we had to, you know, get the, all that transport out too. So, uh, you know, I got to get, you know, be involved with that. So I was really happy with that. Yeah, with the now with the COVID rollout or the I guess the COVID procedures going on in Texas at the time, you're talking about the transportation. Of, of, when you say specimens, is that like for the testing, like for yes. people getting tested? Yes, like we had to, like all the samples that we took. They, they had to be they were uh, timed, so we had a certain time that we had to, you know, collect it, keep them cooled, and like because the temperature had to be the certain uh, a certain uh, temperature, and they had to be you know transfer. We had the the transfer of custody from one entity to another before we lifted the responsibilities off of us. So it was, everything was, uh, it was, it was moving back then. Yeah. So in, how did those specimens move? Did they move by, by like tractor trailer or these like sprinter vans? um, So they were transported. No, they're transported by air. Um, Oh yeah. They, so they, we, we passed them off to um, someone who would transport them. And then they, they would they would get to once they left us we knew that they they went they went with someone and they went directly to a motor transport to either to another cooler until it was able to transport like a a more high high energy high more efficient cooler to hold until it was ready to be transported but they eventually at that time were just being flown out to where it needed to go to be uh, tested so they they are they're, they're leaving by air. Nice and so when it came to the vaccine rollout now how did the, so. The, the shipping and receiving of that, you were kind of, were you at testing sites or hospitals? Those came by, by truck. I, at least I yeah. thought that's what I had remembered seeing. Yeah, we had testing sites and we had uh, pickups. We had, um, they would have them in the freezers and then we'd have to go pick them up and put them. And we had our own little portable freezer, freezers that we had. So we either had dry ice. We, we always had to have something uh, coolers to keep the, the, the vaccines in. And of course, we had to maintain them on our end too, at certain temperatures. So we use whatever we needed, we took, and whatever we didn't, we, we kept stored in our, our little hubs that we that we maintained at the time. But yeah, everything was it was it was tracked then too. We had to track by lot numbers and all all the other fun stuff. I mean, I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed it, and it, it was it was it was great. It was a great learning experience, and especially as like how quickly it went up, and like how we had to like maintain the uh, maintain the inventory on it not just the uh, the vaccines themselves but all the other supplies that we needed to go along with it because they had these little they had kits that we had because you know they had to be injected with needles so then we had to make sure we had the right gauges and all and we had to make sure we had the um, that they were actually within the the, the safe uh, how's that word this is in the protocols that it was needed to be in. So it, it, and then on top of that, we had to make sure we had the gloves and the mask and everything else. There was like so much that we had that we had to maintain at that time. So, yeah, absolutely. And would you would you say only because now the the response to the pandemic, obviously, um, you know, some people are critical to how it was early on with this need, incessant need for for ventilators and stuff. But when it comes to um, your effort with at least testing and the vaccine rollout, would you say, you know, would you say that it was an, an overall success? Do you think it kind of went well? Could things have gone better 
in any way? Oh, or was there anyone, no. like, was I anybody lacking? So like for, from my, my perspective, the way I saw it happen, cause I, I was on the ground, the ground um, effort of it. And like in the, in the beginning, it was the testing. So the only thing was that that was really confusing, especially for the public too, is like, what happens if I'm positive? And like, we didn't have an answer because, you know, like, oh, well, you know, it's basically like all you could say is like, well, now you know you're positive because we didn't have a treatment plan or we didn't have anything like you go here or, or this is how, you, you know, take these measurements and, or follow the CDC guidelines. That's basically the only thing we could tell them. But that, that was one of the, it was one of the things is like, you know, a lot of people just wanted to know like, how, uh, what do I do if I'm positive? And so, I mean, we couldn't really tell them like, this is how you treat yourself. We just had to say, well, you just got to follow the CDC guidelines. So that, that was uh, with testing. With vaccines, of course, it was pretty straightforward. People come in, they get their vaccines. Uh, we, we get their, their information that we had to input their information into the system. So that way they're, you know, they, they, they're in a system saying that, you know, they received their vaccine, they got their vaccine cards to prove that their vaccine was, was, you know, administered at this time. And then it was like dated, like when you come back and get your, your second, you know, vaccine. So well, it's it was, good. yeah, it's good that there was no like snack. It seemed that it went out flawless just, so just, just for the future. And if anything, it was a great learning experience to where if something, you know, if something happens again, at least that there's experienced people who kind of have the information and know how it goes now. So from there, so 2022, you hang it up in 2022 is really not that long ago when you think about it. So you re recently retired. What, uh, what was, what was the pivot from there? So you get up the, you know, you, you hang up, you know, hang up the tags, you hang up the boots. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're you want to be, you want to be around your family more. Mm -hmm. What's, uh, what's your pivot from there? You, because we, we're, we're talking now and you're, and you're running for Congress. So how do we get from retiring? Hey, I want to be, I'm going to be a family guy. What, what, what was the gap between then and now, basically the past, you, you know, two years. So like that, yeah, the past two years, you know, I settled in with the family. I got my honey do list and uh, I was, I was like, you know, just working around the house, you know, clean, you know, keeping it straight, keeping it neat. Uh, doing the uh, dropping the kids off at school, picking them up from the bus stop, you know, just like having having a good time. And uh, the the reasons why I'm running for Congress is basically because of uh, our our current incumbent. I don't feel he has the the desire to actually serve like the United States or the people. He he speaks of a, an agenda and. When I hear an agenda, I know when I hear an agenda because it doesn't it doesn't include everyone. It just it's kind of exclusive more than inclusive for for people. And and he's just he just does not have he he does not have the the ability, in my opinion, to have that responsible to have the responsibility of our people and our country in his hands. And we we shouldn't allow him to even have the platform to even say what he's saying currently. So, and I think to come out there, someone really needs to come out there and, and challenge him and give him a, a good challenge. I don't think he was not challenged in those last election. He basically had, a, I want to say he had a walk through there too. And he really needs to have a person on that, that will challenge him and you compare them side by side and know that, okay, which one of us or which one of the two that are there will be best for our district, 
best for our state and best for our country. And from when you, when I, I'm just thinking as a voter, if I didn't know me, I would just say that, you know, well, this guy has a lot more experience than this guy, even though he's been in Congress once for one term, he still does not have the ability or the experience to even know exactly what, everything that he's talking about or needs to be talking about. I mean, I've been, been to plenty of places around the world and I've interacted with many different cultures and then interacted with different militaries at that, at, at that too. And from being on the inside of the military too, I've, I've seen the inner workings, not just in one branch, but like two different branches and our, our national guard. Most people don't, most people that, that served, and I can say this because I served because I didn't know anything about the national guard when I, when I was active duty for the Marine Corps or the army, it is different. And it, it is something, it is something different to, to understand and something different to, to navigate with. And it's just kind of like, when you have the ability to implement strategy, it's how are you going to implement strategy? You have to know your capabilities. And that's how I feel. I don't feel he understands that the full capabilities of what, what is out there in our government to be in the position he's in. No, that's good. I, I like that. I like that. What motivated you is, is the, is your competition. Like you, you took a look at who your representative was and you're saying, I don't think he's representing me, my peers, my family. And that's what set you apart. And, you know, you mentioned about how he specifically has an agenda, whereas you, you know, you haven't you haven't said anything about an agenda yet. We've been talking for, you know, almost a half hour. There is there's really no you know, there's no agenda there. But it was you don't think he's in the job of a house of a representative, which I was saying at the top of the show his job, and I looked this up because when Chip Roy was my congressman, I made a video about how listing, I made a video where I was talking about the duties of a, of a representative as it's listed on, in, you know, in the constitution uh, or, uh, and where, and where those job duties are listed and what they're supposed to do. And the first thing is, is listen to constituents and uh, made this and cause Chip Roy was somebody I was trying to get a hold of. And he was another guy who's very hard to get a hold of. And, from Maryland, so to speak. And uh, I don't really, you know, I, I'm not really sure I trust his, his character too, too much. Um, although, you know, and I'm not looking to, and he could be, you know, somebody who could be a friend of yours. So I don't want to step on anything, but when it comes to Greg Kassar, this is what motivated you to go against him. I'm kind of wanting, so what was like, and I asked a previous guest of the show who had, who had ran for office, what was like the one day, what did that first day look like where you're like, that's it. I, I got to do this. Like, was there one specific day or did you like kind of make a plan? No, I would, I can definitely honestly say I didn't have a plan. Uh, it was, it was definitely like the, this is actually my second time running for this position. So the first time back in 20, you know, 2021 is December 21. I was sitting there and I was watching the news I was folding clothes and then they were talking about the election and how it is the last day. And I, I was like, I'm serious. I was like most, most people, I, I didn't, I didn't pay no mind. Cause I, I, I like to believe I have confidence in our government and that the people that are there that they'll do what's right. So I was like folding clothes and I was listening and they said last day to put your name on the, on the ballot. And I was like, you know what, who's running? And I was like, that's so all I was like, let me, let me look this up. So I looked it up real quick and I looked it up both parties. And then I, I, I quickly ran through the, the names, just like snapshots of them. 
and you know of what what they're what they're running for. And then I and then I came across Kassar, and I was just like former city council, and I was like of Austin, and I was like okay. And then I I, I came upon some things about what he how he was on the city of council uh, city council in Austin, and I was like he was the reason why the homeless were just all encamped it. Because I was in Austin at one time during the COVID uh, mission, and there were uh, tents lined up on the street, and literally no one was in them. There were just tents there, and people all over the place. I was like, "He's the one," and then I read into it again. He's like, "And he's the one that wanted to defund the police." And I was like, "Yeah, this guy. I don't think he has the. Uh, he doesn't have the right mindset for." what's what's needed for us at a national level and we we can't give him a platform at the national level if he if he did this to austin if he did this to his city and what was he what what's he going to plan to do for our nation and so i was like no i got i have to be in there and i have to at least at least put my name in there and give it a shot and hopefully i, I would come through and fortunately out of the t- there were 10 names on the republican ballot i was one of 10 names on there and then in that election, I actually made it into the runoff. So I was like, it was, a, it was honestly, it was a quite a shock. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, that's good for me. And I was like, all right, let's let's push this and let's move forward, and so we can get, you know, face off against Kassar. And that, that was always my my whole point. Is if I felt that he did not have what is necessary for a federal level, because that's how I view government. I view government. At its level and its purpose, and I don't look at it as a as an accession to you know career progression. Like so, like the federal government has a responsibility and has a job to oversee, and that's what I'm shooting for. Now, if I felt that I I would have a better fit at a state state government, I would go for that, or even local government, I would shoot for that. But I felt my strength is more at the federal level at the at the federal level due to my experience that I've had in the military and that I've had across the uh, across the world and the education that I've taken, you know, that I chose to pursue during my education time, because I have a bachelor's in international studies and a minor in business. And then of course I, I pursued a, you know, supply chain management certificate and I was on the way to pursue a master's in business to find that position in supply chain. But the pandemic kind of set that aside for a while, and then I just kind of, you know, stayed with the uh, the work efforts and the guard, and then now I'm just I'm pursuing this because this is another another level in my life that I that I feel that I'll be beneficial for for the state for our district and the country. So this, I I just want to offer the opportunity, you know, for myself and for for my family and for you know the people of 35. No, I'm I'm really with you on that. I'm glad you brought up uh, some of some of those important issues. Now, number one, it is true when it comes to just overall experience in people in the political world. Um, yeah, he he has uh, his entire career has been in nothing but politics, being city council and now a congressman. Uh, he's never you know he's never served in the military. He's never really had um, a real a, you know a, essentially he's never had to work in the real world. Uh, so, so to speak. And uh, I mean, in my in my honest opinion of him, uh, I believe he's a communist. Uh, it's it's really not hard, 
hard to say that and where it might seem like quite an accusation. I'm not sure if it's one he'd deny, but I really want to touch on that that homeless situation too, because it's really important because this is an issue that's, because when we're talking federal level, uh, his and what he stands for, him getting the camping ban lifted um, created a, an absolute, absolute chaos in the city of Austin. And what it did was, is it brought in people. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't help. It didn't help homeless people. That's the thing. It was just, you lifted the camping ban and then there was nothing else ever done ever to try to help these people. And it became horrible. There were horrible women were being chased. There was people free. I've seen people freebasing heroin in broad daylight, right on, you know, right on Cesar Chavez and then the city. And when you look at, when you talk about representation, the city of Austin voted overwhelmingly majority over two thirds to reinstate that camping ban, something that he fought tooth and nail to lift because any, he didn't lift it to help the homeless. He lifted it off this precipice that, um, you know, it shouldn't be illegal to be homeless. Mm-hmm. And in theory, and yes, like in theory, yes. But also when it comes to the city of Austin or cities in general, if you're going to live in a city or live in a town or community, those people do pay taxes. Those businesses pay taxes. They pay to be there. And if you're not an actively contributing to that, then you don't. And I'm sorry, we're going back thousands of years. If you're not contributing to your society, you'll be outcasted. If you want to be homeless, let me tell you, there's plenty of land in West Texas. You can just go live out in the middle and you can do whatever you want. But kind of, uh, but and so I just, I just really need to make that a point. And this has nothing to do. I think that they're there's a way to solve the homeless issue. San Antonio is doing a good job with something like Haven for Hope, which I've heard Mm -hmm. a lot about, um, which I think is something that that would really help save lives in the homeless aspects of things. It includes housing them and getting them sober and finding them employment. I don't think just letting them letting that free reign happen. But that right there, you you couldn't have worded it better uh, just in sheer experience alone. Your experience is with the federal government. You work, you work for the federal, you're within the army and the Marine Corps dealing with uh, global supply chains. I mean, I have a lot of friends who listen to the show who work for, they work for JB Hunt and they, they work in intermodal and deal with trains. Your experience is very invaluable when it comes to building relationships, making sure people across Europe are, are and things are good, things are going right. Admit, being down there on the ground, administering, helping with the vaccine rollout. This is real time experience compared to a stint on city council and then getting some Instagram clout uh, to, to basically win a, a, an easy election. So I'm glad, I'm glad that was it. So let's go, let's go into your campaign kind of what, you know, who, who are you running against? You know, what sets you apart from these guys? And because me, and like I said, I know, I know listeners of my show may say, might say I'm being biased or whatever, but I mean, it is my show at the end of the day, but in, in reality, um, I, I, if I'm just speaking personally, when it comes to who I see running against Greg Kassar and who I saw out of the list of candidates, and I know the type of residents that live in the 35th, 35th district, you, I think you, when it, it, and like, and I hate to sit and like I said, you know, feel free to tell me I'm wrong, but there's a lot, you know, your, your name's Michael Rodriguez. you there's a lot of, of your demographic who live here, who mm-hmm. you can represent, who, who I think it would be powerful for this district. And that's a factor. And compared to the rest of your competition, I don't know if really they hold that same representation that you carry with them. No, absolutely. I try to stay away from my identity politics of the, of the issue, but the reality is it, it does, it does exist and it does play, play into some decision-making. Yeah, I hate it too. Tr- trust me. 
Yeah, yeah, no, believe me, I, I hate it too. I, I honestly believe the uh, best person that, that is willing to step in and represent and not just the qualifications, but just ex like diverse experience. Because I, people say that too, like, what is your qualifications to run for Congress? And I was like, well, it's a, it's a diverse experience. You know, it, Congress is the house of the people. So we got to bring in a, a diverse uh, mind thinking uh, for the people. Because I, I, used to, I like to use the example, well, what happens when you get a bunch of engineers together? They think like engineers. They're going to design like engineers. And I say that as a thing from being in the military, some of the equipment we get we're like, who designed this? You know, this is this doesn't work for us. You know, it's like, well, it was designed by a bunch of engineers, and they didn't bring that that knowledge of somebody that's actually may have to use it in into the thought process when when they're doing the the design of it. So, and then that that's kind of like what I like to bring. I have many many years of just working in different areas in the military in the military like you really don't get to choose who you work with you 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 find a way to work with them and and, this, and the same thing goes like when you're dealing with uh, foreign governments so and as far as the the other guys and the uh, that are that are running for 35 I, I try to think and I and I look at them and I think objectively as a voter like how does a voter uh, view them and you viewed them kind of like the same way that, that I did. It's like, you know, they have great intentions, but sometimes, you know, great intentions is not always what's best for, for us. And, and I know some of them probably decided to run because they felt that no one was running or and not just in this race, but in some other races, when there's a seat that's, that's very, that it's very leaning one side than the other. There are people just going to throw their name in the hat just to try to get a name out there and try to promote their themselves in one way or another. I can't say that for sure in this race in the uh, primary, but it does happen. And I looked at the other guys too before I put my name into the uh, back into the to the hat, but I had already planned on doing that. And I always like to wait till you know to see who's there because if somebody's there and I felt that that they're it, like they 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 have a chance, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have came in because the ultimate goal is to get Kassar out of office. And I feel that I'm the one that has that chance. A guy that's grown up in this area, grown up in the, in, in the district, up and down. I can, I can name, name my childhood up till current of where I've been in the district and Kassar and my strong understanding is he does not even live in the district that he's supposed to represent. So, and that's, that's a big thing for me too. I and mean, if you're going to represent uh, your district in Congress, you better be from that district and, and not, not like, Oh, when I'm, if I win, I'm going to move in or anything like that, but, you know, have some, you know, have, have that connection that with the district that, that you're running for, because it's, it's Congress is the only office that you do not have to live in the district to run for it. And the way I see it is, that's like saying that out of the entire district, you're going to tell me there's not one person that has the substance to run for his own district. And it's like, well, that's how I, that's how I feel. It's like, I feel I have the substance. I feel I have that, what it needs to represent, you know, across the district for the district, the state and the nation, because there, there's a lot of responsibility in the federal government and at least somebody that has some, some knowledge in it should be in it. I think that that's wild that the 
I had no idea that you can run, you can technically not live in a district and, mm-hmm. and run for run for office in that district. That to me just sounds like, I don't know, that's like unreal. <laughs> like, uh, because how, how can you represent people you're not, you're not even associated with? Like you don't, you don't go to their churches. You don't go mm-hmm. to their grocery store. Yep. You don't, you didn't work at a business there. Like, you, yeah, you're not working at a business that's in that district. You don't own, you don't, you don't even own a bit. You know, I could see if you mm-hmm. own the business in the district, maybe you live a little bit outside of it, but so you spend the majority of your time there. Maybe there, there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but yeah, the idea of not living there already is one, but let's, uh, but yeah, you, you know, you said you're the guy for the job kind of now say, you know, what's, what's kind of, what's your platform? What are the biggest things you're going for at, uh, to represent the, you know, what are you going to bring to the people of the 35th? You know, what's your platform? What are you hoping to go to DC and, uh, and do for us down here in the 35th? Well, first thing I want to do is, you know, take care of the business at hand and not, not afraid to be that, that voice that, you know, steps in and says that what, what is right and what has to be done, what needs to be done to, to get everything moving. I mean, first most important thing right now is currently our budget. Like we can't get a budget going. It's like appropriations is, is, is like holding everything up and we keep pushing it down the road, kicking the, kicking the can down the road, as they say. But no, I, I, I feel that I would not be afraid. I'd make it up into that, make it into Congress. I would not have any issues going against anyone in there because the way I see it, because because 35 is the way it is and it doesn't gain that traction from the party that some of the other races around the state are, are getting like I have no strings I have no one to hold me back and which is which I love because the the least strings that I have the more vocal I can be and the more direct I can be and because when I'm direct I'm not being direct because I just want to be heard I'm being direct because it's right and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong and tell me how we can fix it. Don't just, you know, try to shout me out because you don't agree with what I'm saying. And that that's kind of like what, I, what I'm hoping for. So as far as, like I said, with the traction, I'm not going to have any strings as for like the party or any strings from any corporation because I'm not, I'm not going to have their agenda on my plate. I'm going to have the district's agenda that, that I get to move forward with and actually point out and what's going to be best that serves us as a district and a nation. So not just um, I'm going along party lines or I'm going along corporate lines or anything. It's, it's straight for the straight for the people of this district. So but so budgets like the first the first thing on your mind is that that which I'm actually that, that's actually might be one of the most calming things I've ever heard because, you know, a lot, a lot of people who are running for office, when you see their commercials, they're pointing at, you know, the culture wars are always on the top of the list. There's always all these other a myriad of other certain issues, but really like the, the biggest elephant of the room, because we could talk about the culture wars. We could talk mm-hmm. about Israel, Ukraine. We, we could talk about that until the, the cows come home. But at the end of the day, um, there, there's rent that's due. There's bills yeah. that need to be paid. And if we're talking about you know, if we're talking about, you know, and we're talking about, you know, we, you know, because China's involved in this conversation, too. And, we're, you know, the dollar is still the world reserve currency currency currently. But if, you know, if that can gets kicked and the status quo continues with 
what the budget and the deficit looks like. I mean, we're not like forget Ukraine or Israel and forget anything, the things that we want to quote unquote support or not support. If the money, if the money's not right, if the balance sheet's not where it needs to be, then, you know, (laughs) then where, where are we going in the first place? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's many things that we can talk about. There's many things that we can move up to the top of our, of our, uh, any kind of, you know, priority list. But when it comes down to the, the the biggest role of Congress is to maintain that budget, is the purse, to, to hold the purse of the nation. And as Congress, we cannot just go off and just keep extending our debt because it's not Congress's debt, it's the people's debt. It is our debt. Like we are paying that. And we, like we see it right now when we go to the gas or we go to the grocery store. I was looking the other day and I was just like, I never knew that that thing went up three dollars. It's just like it just kind of happens overnight, and it's it's just everything is going higher and higher because we know, as consumers, a business is not going to take a hit. The business is not going to take the cut. They're going to pass that cost to us, the consumers. So the business itself is going to maintain its profits because that's that's the, the you know the, the the philosophy of a business is to make profit. So they're going to make their profit. And we're going to pay for it because we need to consume. And if Congress can't even get themselves under control to even control this uh, thing like a budget to just say, okay, we don't have that much money this year to fund this. So we either need to make some choices or make some cuts along the way. But we're, we're not running a business as government. We're just providing a service for the people. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is crazy to think of the people who are in Congress who have run businesses and essentially they know what it took for their business to succeed. And yet they're in these positions of power and they're not and they're not doing it. I always find that kind of kind of funny. So budget number, you know, is, is like first and foremost, like t- taking that on. What are you know, what are some, what are some of the what are some of the other selling points to, to any of the voters out there? If they're looking to go to the primary or they're looking to vote, what's a, you know, what else can they count on from you? Well, I will mention the other elephant, the, the border. Everybody knows the border. And that's, I try not to, uh, I mean, we know that, that that is the issue that needs to be fixed. And we know that, that our current administration right now could just easily fix it by just implementing what was there pre- before they released it and took it off the, off the, uh, off the cards. But I mean, there, there's a, a lot more that I, I think I can bring even as far as like bringing in towards the military and like how, how we can move forward on a military. Because my time in the military, this is what I saw. I saw a lot of wasteful spending. And that's just for me seeing there. We went through uniform changes like no other. Uh, I don't know if you saw it in your time in the Marine Corps. I think by then they've already decided on, on, their, on their pattern, which was good. And I like to bring up the fact because the Marine Corps – did it in a way that, okay, we're going we're gonna to roll out a new pattern. We're going to roll out some prototypes, but we're not giving it to everybody. We're not going to decide it until we actually figure out this is what we want to do. So I was there in the Marine Corps when they started the whole uh, change in the uniforms. And did you know that the original uniform was Velcro, Velcro sleeves? They wanted to have it to where they took the sleeves off. It was detachable sleeves. And then I remember the sergeant major of the division that time came over and showed us. And he was all excited and everything. And we were just like, mm, no, that's oh, just man. not that's that like, a bad idea. 
That sounds that sounds that sounds like the corniest, probably the corniest thing I ever heard. I but I do I did do have staff and COs who were around when the old uh, you know tricolor turned into you know digital camouflage and mm-hmm. you know some and even I mean they talk about actually on the show Generation Kill where some guys have some guys had the newer uniforms some and they show yeah. that really accurately where some guys have digital some guys have Marpat and yeah I mean I saw that same type of I remember looking at the just the inventory list of, you know, an artillery battery and the costs of the computers, the wires, the cords, the, oh, yeah. and then even at the supply house, like the, like the cost of a two man tent was like hundreds of dollars. And it's like, you can get the same thing at Walmart for, you know, a Coleman two man tent for 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's like to see that spending is like unreal. Yeah. And then, I mean, it goes into more than that. Cause like you were supposed to like replace computers like every four years and all this. And then and same with furniture. There's a budget for all that, but it doesn't happen because we have to keep pushing our budget because the way we're, we're spending our, our funds that we have right now, the army, I saw that they went through so many uniform changes. They went from that uh, universal pattern back to, uh, now to the uh, multicam pattern and, and to the current pattern they have now. And then it's not just the uniforms that they change. They change all the equipment along with it. So that that includes the rucksacks and all the other, you know, equipments that that go along to supplement, to go to to complement those to to the uniform, and then uh, that was just to me that was like a huge, huge waste of funding that that could that money could have been spent in other other areas of our military. So I mean I see that, and I also see like, you know, like the, how how we treat our or how how we can serve our veterans. I mean, I've always, I look into that, I'm very involved, you know, being a veteran myself, you know, I like to, I like to think that, you know, when, when it's my time to where I need to be, you know, looking for these resources that they'll be available for me and they'll be, because, you know, we served and we did what we had to do for our country and we did what they asked for us. I mean, I'd always agreed with it, but, you know, we did it and we, and and we served in, in, into that capacity. And, and as far as like, I think one thing different that I would like to do that I've not heard was to is to like kind of lower that retirement age more for those who serve in the reserves because they they don't collect their retirement until like they're well into their 60s. So I mean that that's one thing I would try to like push for. We we they served and they don't get a full retirement as, as somebody does at 20 years, which I understand but they still do 20 years in one way or another, sometimes they, they do 30 years and they, they, they don't, their, their retirement is still not going to be as, as much as someone that served 20. That's yeah. That's actually an interesting point. Uh, I think re, revamping it, re, because those, be, when it comes to veterans benefits, I don't think they get revisited a lot. And I know that I'm sure that there's committees in Congress and, and I know the VFW lobbies to Congress, but that's, it's actually an interesting, an interesting one with guys who do like 30 years in the national guard where sure, you know, it was only one weekend a month. Maybe they got a couple deployments. They had gone on ship or any opportunities they've got for extended training. But even if there was a more, yeah, even if there necessarily wasn't, and this is just me giving possibly my my future congressman some ideas, but like if for those National Guardsmen, if there was some sort of either tax tax incentives, mm-hmm. like uh, with when it comes to possibly their, their property tax, which hopefully can go away in Texas soon, because I saw that that was on the on the primary ballot as well, um, or stuff in regards to the sales tax uh, that that maybe that those veterans don't have to pay some some way to 
at least it, it would be a kickback uh, as opposed to, you know, you know, to change, like there, there's, there's ways I think that to better serve it. And it's great that you have the, that foresight that's top of your mind as something going in there to Congress to help better serve veterans. I mean, there's a lot in Texas, Texas probably has the most oh, veterans yeah. of any other state uh, next to, I'm sure Florida, New York, and California are up there, but I, I know Texas itself, especially with their size, of their national guard probably has a lot of people who um, should be incentivized to start businesses and, and get jobs and, and, and also pursue staying in the Texas national guard as a career. So yeah. that's awesome. So we got, we've got budget borders up there. Um, yeah. Military, de de the defense spending is a, is a little bit cut helping out veterans. I do want to mention the, the border is something that, yeah, a lot of people listening to the show are very tuned in on. Um, I had gone down to Eagle pass a few weeks ago and what's crazy about the border is I don't think people see, we're not seeing the like people like what what's currently happening is being seen in communities across, across America with different levels of crime for sure. But at the same time, I don't think people realize how close to home it, it really is and how much of a problem it can be, it can become. And it has nothing to do. And the thing is, is what's, what's tough about the border and what I don't like is about how it's been made political by the current administration, because it's not political. It's a it's, it's as simple as it's a humanitarian and a national security crisis. There's no way, no other way to look at it. I mean, if we, if we took a hundred thousand Americans and we just started and say a hundred thousand Americans per day started moving to Russia, what, mm -hmm. what would, what would Russia's response be? What if a hundred thousand Americans and we, and then, and all these Americans were apparently saying, and I'm just saying, just, I'm just spitballing here going off like Twitter, say a bunch of very, uh, very progressives or something, you know, so a very extreme, you know, far left or far right people were saying, I'm seeking political asylum from the United States. And it was a hundred thousand per day going into Russia. What's Russia going to do? Or likewise, if they were going into India or Japan or Pakistan, if they were going into any country, if so many people per day were by the thousands kept going in, crossing illegally, what would any other country do besides look at it as this is a humanitarian and national security crisis. And I think it's just like you, you mentioned how important the border is and it's not, it's not political. It's really, it's really, it's a sad scenario, but it's also a Trojan horse at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, the cover of the border, I always say it's uh, kind of like a smoke screen and something bigger that's going on in the world. I mean, there's other things that are going on all throughout the world and, but we're focusing on the border. And not only that, like we, our border is open. There's, there's no other way to say it. I mean, it, it is open when you can just come across and be processed and then set free to roam throughout the uh, United States. But you do bring up a good point. Like if we were to, let's just say, for instance, instead of just processing them, we move them and, and we, you know, let them allow them to travel all the way up to Canada. What would Canada do? Do we think Canada would accept them in with open arms and, you know, just come in and, and give them all the funds and, and place to stay like, like we are here in the United States. It's like, they, they wouldn't do that. But if we were to like not accept them, then we'd be considered here in the United States of so inhumane against humanitarian or these were inhumane to all these people seeking asylum, but they haven't made a claim like a legitimate claim to asylum other than they're not living as well as they'd like to in their own country. I mean, that's, Go on. 
No, I was going to say, and I'm curious, I didn't know, I had spoken to a gentleman in the Texas National Guard who had been down, who had who has, who has worked with Operation Lone Star, and he explained to me about the situation with especially the young kids and how and and the amount of trafficking going on. And essentially, a lot of the young kids themselves are not with. And there's another person. I mean, his name's Andrew Callaghan. He runs this show called Channel Five News. I mean, a lot of these it's it's pretty well known that these fa- people are not com- these families are being posed. They're mm-hmm. split up. They're put with different families and stuff like that. And essentially, this gentleman in the Texas National Guard you know, it had explained to me is, is that when even they do catch a coyote, the coyote is a middleman and that, and he'll never give anybody up. And if they, he happens to finally give somebody up, the guy he gives up is just another middleman and they can't really get down because the entire border is run by crime syndicates yeah. that, that, that you could, that you can't, that there is no negotiating with. And so the idea of, us, you know, not being uh, us being inhumane is just completely wild. And I was curious only because I had this conversation. He's an officer in the Texas National Guard, met him at a gym I used to go to. I'm just wondering if you had any, you know, you're looking to represent the 35th. The National Guard's currently there. And I know that maybe it's a little out of your wheelhouse, but do you have any connections with what's been going on with Operation Lone Star at all? Yeah, I had a few buddies that were uh, on that uh, Operation Lone Star. And some of the, they tell me the same thing, you know, they go in there, they're saving people that are, you know, drowning in the river, you know, and uh, just like you said, they, they're coming across with the kids and you don't even know if they're, they're the kid that they're even related. They just say they are, but there's no proof. And, and I think now they don't even want to provide proof that the, that the person that that kid is with that person is like a relative of some sort, but that is like, yeah, it's it's very it's an extremely un- unfortunate situation that we allowed to happen because that's exactly what happened. We allowed it to happen, and that like if if and I just hate the fact with the current administration blaming Congress, saying it's Congress's fault because they're not willing to pass anything. And I read that bill. That bill was it's not not very good. It was not it was not written to secure the border or help out in the immigration process. I mean, I've heard it said you can just secure the border with one piece of paper saying to secure the border, just make it illegal for any, if you to cross, if you don't cross in a point of a port of entry, then you're crossing illegally. That's, that's how we label. This is how we're going to secure the border. They come across illegally. We just immediately deport them right back. Of course, after we process them, that's the process portion should just be process and return and just, you know, keep track of them that way. And, And, but at the same time, I'm like, Hey, I understand your situation. If you're coming over here legally, we catch you, we process you, we say, hey, you want to come back. This is how you legally come over here. This is what needs, this is what you have to do. And then we send them back to, the, to their country of origin and have them try to work their way through that way. But like I said, it is, it's a crime syndicate down there and it, it's being ran, but we all know it's being ran by the cartel and they got their hands in everything over there. There's, it's not just the human trafficking that they got their hands on, but they got their hands on legitimate businesses down there too. And if we know about it here in Congress or in the United States, if we know about it, why aren't we doing anything about it? Like why, why are we allowing them to hold their legitimate businesses and their legal businesses at the same time and run them in tandem? And, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not there yet, but if I were there and if I could see this and I know, and I, and I know what businesses that, that are running under the cover of, legitimate businesses but doing illegal activities i mean we need to shut that down i mean that so we don't get an avocado 
I mean, we, we got to figure it out, but it, it's out there. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I know we're, I know we're running on time, but I definitely want to touch in or kind of dive into transportation a little bit. It, now what's crazy about the, the border too, because uh, I've been, I've spent a lot of time down in Laredo and there's a big checkpoint at mile marker 30, mm -hmm. which maybe you've driven down there. And it talks about the number of CDLs that have been revoked and, I know in 2020 when I was driving, it was just over the 600s. And as of now, I saw on Twitter yesterday, it's inching closer to 900. I was the last time I was there, uh, I was down there April of last year. It was uh, over, it was over 800. Now it's inching closer to 900. And that's just what's being caught. And that's, you know, with illegal drugs and, you know, that's with illegal aliens and drugs. Now, when, and when it comes to, and this is what I mean, especially when it comes to, what what a great job you can do with, with Congress right here, especially with talking with Mexico, because what's happening soon in transportation with Laredo, Laredo set to really uh, uh, have a, a lot of great economic growth in the next few years with the expansion of the World Trade Bridge. There's four new bridges being built. And I know that this is something Senator Ted Cruz has worked uh, mm -hmm. very hard on because Mexico is going to have a lot of nearshoring because of the, um, you know, when President Trump had re revamped NAFTA, there's a lot of manufacturing that's coming to Mexico. And in reality, there's a very good life for people oh, yeah. who come who are coming to Mexico. And I don't think people are really also realizing that. Like, do I think America is the greatest country in the world? Sure. You know, but, um, you, you know, we, we don't pick the cosmos picks where we're born. And I think at the same time, there's a lot of good opportunity coming into Mexico. And I definitely just want to part there. But kind of segueing into it. Um, You've worked in logistics. There's a lot, you know, there is a transportation, you know, there is a house transportation committee, uh, which I know um, uh, Congressman Allred, who's running against Senator Ted Cruz is in, he's, uh, he's in that committee, well, on the Senate side of things, but in the house transportation committee, um, you know, that's, that's something that could be your wheelhouse. And that I know that there's, is there anything, supply chain wise, transportation wise that you want to hone in. I know there's a lot of issues in the country that have to do with parking. You know, we were talking before the show, I was telling you our area is going to mm -hmm. be, is going to become hell on earth when it comes to truck parking. Um, there's a lot of pay when it comes to, uh, there's a lot of issues when it comes to pay and retention in the trucking industry, really one of the biggest threats to the industry, you know, there's always talk about a lot of safety that goes, goes on. And especially with the implementation of autonomous, I was curious of, Kind of gaining your opinion on you know how you feel about AI kind of entering the industry and or anything anything going on in the transportation world you're looking to take take to DC and if I'm catching you off off guard or anything or this is anything outside your wheelhouse that's fine but I like to I like to run up unscripted you know and if, and if it's something that that I had no idea or never thought about before I would say but I would say like as when you mentioned Ted, Ted Cruz uh, Senator Cruz and you know the 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 building of the of the international bridge down there. Because uh, before that, before they made that announcement, I was having the ideas like, you know, instead of expanding before they before they announced it, I was like, before instead of expanding these bridges that are already set, I was like, we need to make more bridges, like a separate bridge just for the trucking industry, and then we could have a holding yard on either side of the border as as they come across. So that way, it streamlines the the transportation port part part uh, the part of it, so that way. They can sit in a holding yard. They have their their own inspections, and it's going to be more. Um, you have the the experience. You don't have to be going between, you know, uh, 
civilian side or the the pedestrian traffic versus the co commercial traffic and then and then it would just lead right back in in but if it had its own separate instead of expanding existing infrastructure just build an entire new one utilize the infrastructure that's there build a new one just for commerce and then you can work on adjusting the existing one that that we had there so that that was one of them the other one too would be like why we have the space and the the openness of like you know for instance between san antonio and el paso why we have that we should like go ahead and make a you know make the roads more uh streamlined for the trucking industry and like and lay uh map out those places for their parking and for the rest areas and inspections if needed and and maintenance areas along the way just for the trucking industry i see it more as a it'd be more beneficial for them to have their own toll road in the city than for the cars to have a toll road in the city that way it they don't have to you know worry about the traffic because i know because i've seen too because i'm driving the city that they don't respect <laughs> these big big trucks running through the city and they don't give them the right of way and they don't allow them to cross any traffic when they when they need to so it i i've seen it and I, and i know it but there, there there's like there is a lot that that can be done and as far as like ai goes i i think along the lines of uh of blockchain in and RFIDs, you know, how we can actually track the, uh, the, the movement of the trucks and where they're going. Uh, but it, that, that, that is a, a lot more to, to look into that rather than to, you know, to speak, speak more on it today. Yeah. So it, it's a, that's, it's no, that's actually a good, like, I, I appreciate that answer more of, of saying the, the, because what's, what's the real issue is there's people in Congress who are, probably bought and paid for by robotics, autonomous industries, uh, because a lot of autonomous stuff is linked to China. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and that's what takes the only one that I know of that isn't, that seems more similar. And, and maybe you've even heard it, is, is Torque Robotics. They, they actually, start, they are a project that stems from the, the DOD and they work with Daimler uh, a lot, which, you know, and Daimler owns Freightliner. Uh, so, I mean, like, but for the most part, like companies like Aurora and Kodiak, uh, Aurora being an Austin uh, company, you know, these are companies that are link linked to China. And I think that what's tough, I guess, when it comes to representatives in Congress now, and this is just a heads up before you get to D.C., is that uh, a lot of the people who are either a pushing it or wanting it um, are, are people who don't who, you know, you just said, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to hold off. I need to do more research on this. There's other people who aren't kind of making making that decision. And if anything, that's probably the best answer you can give the people of the 35th uh, when it when it comes to that issue. I, I know when it comes to Texas specifically, what is crazy is that um, it it is it Texas is a huge battlefield for the autonomous because of the size of the economy mm -hmm. and because of the size of the state. Is that all the companies want? All the companies want to be here because they're able to, they have so much land they can, yeah. they can test it on. And so that's why a lot of the, those tech companies have poured into places like, like Austin. And that's, what's made it such a hot topic, I guess, in the realm of Texas politics. But Hey man, we, we you know, we've been running for a bit. I I've, I'll tell you what, I've really, really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed talking with you, but is there anything else you want to leave us with? You know, you're kind of like, you know, this is your chance. You get on that soapbox, like, Hey man, come out, come out for, for Michael Rodriguez, you know, let's, let's save the 35th, you know, the floor is <laughs> he's, yours. 
You said it right there. I mean, come out. I mean, the best way, like I always say, this is the election before the election. The real election is in November, and that that is the the real uh, the the real focus that I have right now is is getting to have that opportunity to run face to face and debate the issues with the Congressman Kassar that that he's right now and all the things that he's trying to push. I think right now he's trying to push us moving Texas to the grid, to the national grid. I mean, if we're not a national grid, we're on we're not from the national grid for a reason. And I mean, he wants to push that. I read his bill too. And it spends a lot more money than it says that he's going to save a lot more money. So, I mean, that that's that's what I'm I really want to get to. And for in order for me to get there, I have to get there. So in the primaries doesn't get a lot of traction from a lot of voters because they don't want to be affi- affiliated or associated with one party or another. But and then at the same time, this is the opportunity to choose the candidate that can go against the other candidate or the, the incumbent at this case, in this case, to go against the, the incumbent. And that way you can measure up, measure them up right there. We're going to be side by side. It's going to be one-on-one. It's going to be Rodriguez Casar. And you're going to be like, okay, what is the, who is the best that's going to represent us? Who is the best that's going to have that opportunity to represent the, the district and the, and the country at the same time? And who has the experience and who has the, the knowledge that can get through and you know, not not think what other people are telling them to think, and that's going to be able to have that thought and help and solve the solutions, you know, for for everyone in the in the district, you know, being the, to the youngest to the oldest, and because we're, we're at, at some point in our lives, we're gonna we're gonna need somebody to stand up for us, and when they speak, and I want people to have that confidence when I say I'm gonna do something, I want them to know that, okay, if he says he's gonna do it. He's going to do it because that is how I lived my entire career in the military. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I will, and I mean, I'll follow through on it. I need help for people to follow, help me follow through on it. But in the end, I am going to follow through for the people. No, that's good, man. That's really well said. I want to, I want to thank you enough for coming on. Uh, I'd love to, number one, I'd love to stay in, stay in regular contact. It'd be great to link up. And, and have this uh, have some more conversations face to face. I'd love to also connect you with some friends of mine, you know, with within the industry too, because uh, you seem no matter what, you seem very committed. I know we talked before the show that you seem very committed in continuing education with, um, you know, all things related to the supply chain world. And I think whether it's serving and whether whether you're serving the the thirty fifth in Congress. Um, you know, I think I think you're the type of guy who needs to hang around the political wheelhouse. Uh, but also, uh, there's a lot of there's there, there there's a lot of I'll tell you what you, you know. If I was depending on where I was working for, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of company. There's a lot of people in this industry who'd be who probably could benefit from your your overall experience with doing everything from from intermodal train traffic in Europe and stuff like that. You got a, You got a hell of a resume, and uh, I do. I appreciate your time tonight. Um, but any, any other than that, where can the people find you? So I got my, my website. You can look me up at, uh, rodriguezforcongress.org and email me at email at rodriguezforcongress.info. So I, I, I like to take in questions. I like to, I love, I especially love to hear, uh, suggestions, you know, because when it comes down to it, you know, the, the brass, the grassroots of it is, this is me representing the people. 
and whatever the suggestions they bring forward is is things that I can add to my my tool bag of you know experience and responsibilities, and I can push those issues forward. And that that's what I really like to hear. So I mean, I really love for people to email me and just tell me that, you know, hey, I suggest you know have you looked into this or you know I suggest this. You know, we we should we should move forward to this because when it comes down to like the issues that I I bring up to solutions, they're not just for me alone. Awesome. Perfect, man. Well, yeah, hang out real quick. I'm going to walk us out of the show. I want to thank you enough for your time and I'll make sure I leave uh, your contact info in the show notes. Awesome. But, thank, uh, you. No, thank you for having me on. We're going to walk this one out. Thank you all for tuning in, especially the live viewers. Awesome conversation with just an awesome person. Somebody wants to solve problems. How many times have we said that on this show? That's the reason why I'm continuing to do this show is because we know the problems. We know they exist. We don't have all the answers because if we did, the problems would be gone, right? And but so that's what we're doing is having the conversation to fix them. Michael Rodriguez is somebody I believe truly that wants to solve a problem. And in this, you know, toxic political world we're in where, you know, everybody bases that, you know, everybody's people keep and this is a quote right from that HBO show, The Newsroom, like identifying people with who they voted for in the last election. If you just listen to what Mr. Rodriguez is saying at face value for what he wants to do for the people of the 35th district, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, whatever, whatever you like, to, you know, you've you, whatever box or echo chamber you've cornered yourself in. Hard to argue a guy who just wants to work for the district that he grew up in, who wants to make sure that the border's safe and secure, who wants to make sure veterans are taken care of. Um, he seems to be going up there with a good heart, heart of a, of a U.S. veteran who spent many years not only serving overseas, but he served here in Texas during one of the most crucial times, uh, you know, in any of our lifetimes, given, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, which was crazy. You know, so he's on the ground helping in that response. Uh, can't throw more support behind, behind this guy enough. Really appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, you guys know where to find him. I will leave it in the show notes. A lot more to come, a lot more episodes to come, a lot more just fun trucker drama coming our way. But with that, we're taking it back to the bench team. Take care.